Erev Tov, Sarah Heppola. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for Nancy Rommelman. <laughs> That Eilert means good evening because it is evening here in Tel Aviv. Everything you're five. saying is confusing now. You're you've gotten well, smarter. I'm not. I can't I, keep up. Well, but Sarah, there's a reason why you can't keep up, right? Are, are you gonna Are you gonna share it with the class, or, or are we gonna keep that a secret? Oh, I have COVID. Oh. I have COVID. I've I've COVID at the very time that you're moving ahead and you're advancing and you're learning Sarah, new languages and new <laughs> and new things and seeing the world. And Sarah. I'm here, Coughing. like like stuck in a in a bug in a virus. Um, yeah, I have COVID. Um, first time, which there is a first time for everything, and uh, I did get that. But but um, and I'm doing okay. Um, it's not been so bad. It's I've got a head cold, and so please forgive me if I if if you can hear that. Um, but you. Are in We're talking about yeah. We I am in Israel. I got here yesterday morning after a actually it was supposed to be a ten hour flight, but actually only took about nine hours from uh, NYC. Did not sleep uh, on the plane, um, so I'm a little per quacky, but I, I think I'm okay. This morning I woke up. We went out, of course, last night and had some drinks and with food, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about this a little more afterwards. But um, uh, I woke up this morning so bleary. Um, from like, I don't know, jet lag and the cocktail. So I'm, I'm going to take it easy tonight, but, um, you just used a word that you used with me last night and I found it fascinating per quacky. That's a, that's a Matt Welch word. Uh, he, he uses it and I, I picked it up. You pick up words from people, right? I'm sure some of our listeners are now using axiomatic. So, you know, that's how language is. You know what, Sarah? It's almost like language is a virus, you know, you just pick it up. (laughs) So, so anyway, I said, good evening to you. I've learned about six words since I've been here and, uh, we'll talk a little bit about more about Israel, uh, toward that. First of all, we have to, we have a little bit of apology. We, we did skip an episode. We, it's too complicated to go into why, but it took too long and there were cuts and there were problems. And finally we were just like, you know what? Goodbye. So we're sorry if we're a little bit late. Um, yeah, sorry and- we've been, it's been a long time since we rock and rolled. Um, we did record two different episodes that for various reasons we had to scratch. And, right. um, and and you know, I was in New York. Uh, I had a wonderful visit with you in New York. And uh, of course, that is also where I, I contracted COVID probably. Maybe at my um, birthday party. Who can we blame? Let's blame Nick, Nick Gillespie. Let's just blame Nick. I, I think yeah, we should. I thought I got it from the chair of Michael Moynihan. I assumed oh, that Michael just kind of like, 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 uh, what was that peanuts character pig pen just like leaves little marks around. And yeah. That was, yeah. I was, was ready Michael to blame, there. to blame sure. him, oh, but I'll, I'll, I'll choose Nick Gillespie. I mean, I'll blame anyone. Yeah, um, but we had a, we had a wonderful visit and, um, and you had a great birthday. I did. So I was doing something yesterday. I was flying on a plane and then I was here last night and um, I really did not get a chance to um, stay on top of the election. I didn't watch one minute of it. 
um, this morning, did get up and I was sitting with Yael Bartour. We're very kindly, I'm staying with her for two days with her mother's beautiful home in Tel Aviv overlooking the Mediterranean. Um, but she did, she was reading a, 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 I don't know, on Twitter or in a, in a, in a newspaper and she quoted Ben Shapiro as saying, the red wave turned into the red wedding. So I I know you did watch some of it. You watched um, our our mutual crush. Uh, well, everybody. I guess he's kind of like America's sweetheart at this point, right? It's it's Steve Kornacki, um, who Steve just Kornacki is America's sweetheart. He's the only person that we can agree on. Um, yeah, well, I went full like everyone. You know, I I have mixed feelings on Twitter, and I complain about it all the time and all this stuff. Every once in a while, I just go full addict and I and I just like dive into Twitter so hardcore. And that was me last night. I was on Twitter for for probably like eight hours, just refreshing constantly. And then I had MSNBC going and then I would switch over to Fox and see what was going on there. I found it really fascinating just because it was so like. Well, first of all, it's, it may be time to decide that just polls don't work. It's funny. It's like, and who's doing the poll? I mean, you can have polls You when, you know, when we're really getting like ramping up for, uh, let's say, the big elections, the presidential elections, and you're looking at Quinnipiac, and you're looking at Wall Street Journal, and, and like, it's... They're all they're all kind of saying different things. So obviously, it kind of has to do, I guess, how you ask the question, maybe or um, yeah. I, I I don't. I I also think. Do you remember in um in uh 2016 when everybody was completely and 100 percent sure Hillary was going to win? Um, I think people are they hear what they're listening for, and I think the sort of media heads. Uh, were listening for Hillary to win, and they, you know, they couldn't believe that this uh, scamp Trump would win. So that was wrong. We learned that. And I wonder, in our group, like we're sort of in a, we're in a kind of a centrist space. I'd say at this point, like we were used to be like traditional liberals, but since liberalism has sort of moved further left, we're a little more center. I would say. Are you talking about, about you? you and me? Yeah, you and me, and like our crew and column, and you know, the people that we we we're around. We we've been so sort of. I mean. At least I, when when Biden became president and Kamala Harris became vice president, I had this moment where I thought, oh, we're living in a post a post political environment now because they seem to me sort of like vapors, right? They weren't actual real people running; that they were just sort of like these these vaporous figureheads. And I think we have proven that um, lately. I mean, Biden is in very bad shape. Um, I don't know if some I'll put a link to it, but uh, George Will, who is obviously more conservative than than I am, he wrote a column about how the Democrats really have to pick somebody else for 2024 because Biden is just not really all there. I mean, he's talking about how his son Bo died, you know, in action and his son died of, of, of brain cancer. It's like, you know, there's not there. He's not there. And then you've got Camilla a second. Anyway, long way of saying. Right. Okay. Think, but, but like, uh-huh. go ahead. So let me just finish my thoughts. So I think in our space and the people we talk to and maybe the things we read, we're like, well, look, obviously people are going to be like, we, we're not comfortable in this space anymore with them. So the so Republicans are going to have a shot. And then also like anger over some COVID policies and school policies and a bunch of different things. Well, in fact, I think it was proven last night, at least in some places, that people still really want to back the blue. Um, I mean, we didn't, as far as I know, I haven't, again, I haven't paid the attention you did. We did not get the red wave that was predicted. Am 
Am I am I wrong in that? Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Somebody on Twitter called it a normie election. I mean, that was a repudiation of a lot of MAGA candidates who were absolutely horrible. And so, you know, like, I, I'm glad to see that, that that those people didn't win. And, um, you know, it. I think one of the, the takeaways from the election is that I think a lot of people are more centrist than you know than than the media environment is reflecting. Hundred percent. I think a, a, like a like a huge majority of people are are repudiating these these extreme politics, and I wonder. I mean, well, a couple of observations. One of them is, I do think um, you know it was interesting. Uh, there was a lot of talk that. Uh, that abortion was not going to be something that that necessarily j- moved people, and it turned out to be a, a pretty big factor um, in a lot of people voting, which makes sense. It has direct effect on on a lot of people's lives. There were abortion, um, you know, abortion was on the ballot in five different states. Kentucky, and, I know, and they kind of did what Kansas did. If I'm, if I, I really just literally, yeah, Kentucky, they, yeah. Kentucky is is a deep red state, and they rejected an anti-abortion measure. Um, it was enshrined into the Constitution in three different states. I think that was California and Vermont and Michigan. Um, you know it. This is something that the media had told us was not a big deal. Um, it turns out that it was a big deal. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think one of the things that I get from the from the election last... Sorry, I'm brain fog in, in... That's okay. It's okay, baby. You got COVID. But anyway, but anyway is that I think that the situation in our country is not nearly as bad as the media compl- constantly makes it seem. Um, you mean Michael are- Beschloss writing that or saying that if these, if, if, you know, Democrats lost that in the future, your children will perhaps be killed. You think you mean it's not that bad? Yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah. Um, you know, w- there were a lot of, I mean, like the, the, the end of democracy was the big drum yeah. beat leading up yeah. to this yeah. election. And, you know, it, I just, I wonder what, like I was watching Twitter last night and, and a lot of people were talking about having spent the last few days in a kind of like, I I was crying and I was freaking out and now I don't know why I was doing that. And I just (laughs) wondered about the sort of, like the, the value of this, like what, at what point do any of us say, you know, this is going through these these stages, these dramatic swings before anything has ever happened. It just feels like like America needs the intervention of a cognitive behavioral therapist <laughs> to step in between us and and the sort and of ourselves. out of control and ourselves. <laughs> um and I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't, but, but I was, I was heartened to see 
I, I don't I don't have a lot of problems. Look, I live in Texas where everything pretty much stayed red, like Beto O'Rourke didn't win and all that. Oh, did you see that video of him dancing last week? Oh, man. No. Okay, not only should Beto O'Rourke not run again, he shouldn't dance again. It's just, it's it's not good. Well, anyway. It's I mean look he gave it a good shot. So I I don't I don't like Greg Abbott who is the who's yeah. the guy in charge here and I I would love someone to have taken him out and 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 that didn't work. Um but you know I wonder too like um what are your thoughts like um do you think we'll ever see a viable third party to to capture this sort of like like huge part of the populace that feels alienated by their parties. And, and we often see in these, in these um, elections that we're not, you know, we're not as extreme as people think. What do you, what do you think about the third party candidate? Well, you know, as I'm, I'm, I'm sort of libertarian adjacent and write for reason and have a lot of friends in that space who think about this and write about this. And we don't have a viable green party in this country. We don't really have a viable communist party in this country. We sort of do have a viable libertarian party and they seemed to be getting some, uh, gaining some traction, I would say about, oh, I don't know, six, eight years ago, and then you had like Justin Amash. And it, you, you, had, you had some people that you thought, you know, maybe these people could could kind of, it's not that it's going to like take the third party over the edge and make it super viable, but edge it closer. And now I'm not going to speak about it. I'll, I'll put a link about it. The, the Libertarian Party is, is lit- has just become this horror show of division and then people that are heading it. I'm going to get it all wrong if I try to give you the details. So I'll just put some links, but they're not, there, there, there's, there's no viability there at the moment. Yeah, sorry, I meant a viable other third party. <laughs> Besides that, I don't. Yeah, so I guess I meant I, a, a, a viable, <laughs> a viable, meant, uh, technically fifth you party. Meant, you meant viable, uh, one, sorry. Yeah, but, okay. but, but viable okay. was the key yeah, word yeah. in there. Right. Sorry, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I right now I don't see it. I, I do when I say I feel like we're moving into a like post-political landscape, I, I kind what of- What does that mean? That. Well, it means that I guess the sort of trust or faith that we had in institutions or, and, and maybe, you know, before the internet or before, I don't know, some era, but like the ones I'm assuming our grandparents lived in, but maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe they had as much skepticism as we do at this point. Um, I think people just don't, they just don't, feel as much fealty um as they did i i could be wrong maybe they were maybe maybe it's always been a a a puddle deep um i mean do you uh, feel well i mean i think but i think the the poll turnout was like really really high i mean i think if anything politics continues to kind of be the centerpiece of a lot of people's lives now i think I would say there, I'm sure, I have no doubt, there were an enormous number of people that just decided to like watch a movie and go to sleep last night and good on them. You know, they, they didn't watch this whole, you know, um, high drama. Um, but but, but so- a lot of people voted and and a lot of people, I think a lot of what's, what's fueling that vote 
isn't fealty to the, their team so much as there is a huge fear of the other side. I think people right. are living no, no, in right. an enormous amount of fear of what happens if the other side wins. Well, why? Why do they feel that way? Because somebody's coming out and saying your children are going to be killed if we don't, you know, vote Democrat. I am going to definitely put a link to the Reason Roundtable because they they tape on Mondays, the day before the election, and they talked about you know how you know every one of these you hear this every single time. This is the most important election of our lifetime. And they say that about every single one. And Catherine Mangawarder or, or uh, I think, said, well, unless you're 18 months old, that, you know, this is not true. There's, there, there, it, it's always the most important. They always want to make it dire. The one thing I can say, I don't know if I want to say, give him credit for, but I guess I will. I think one of the reasons why you have more people going to the polls than you used to is Trump, right? He got people so exercised to vote against him that they started voting and they started like, paying more attention to this uh, to this sphere. So, you know, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I, I can't say, but it's it's taken people out of numbers and you're absolutely right. It's not maybe that they're voting for someone so much, but they're voting against the other people. And, you know... Well, no. one of the things that I, I appreciated about last night was the repudiation of a lot of his candidates. And I think that yes. he, MAGA, yes. is just absolute poison. And I, I don't doubt that it, it, it's, it, it, I don't think it's breathed its last breath. Um, but I well, was a- really glad yeah. to see that. So Fetterman won, correct? Over Yeah, Oz. Fetterman won. Fetterman won. Which, which is, you know, wow, what a story. And Oz As is such an absolute... I can't. Awful I can't candidate and person. And this is going to be interesting to watch. So 140, I, I think I'm getting that number right. 140 Republicans voted not to certify the election. Biden. That that that's huge. That showed you the absolute spellbinding power or fear, or whatever they had. They they had to like stay within Trump. Well, now that his candidates are losing. Let's see how quickly the rats jump from the ship because it starts to get harder and harder when that, you know, his whatever magic, the Trump magic, because in fact, he has gotten people elected, right? If that's if that's wearing off, you think that everybody's going to have fealty to him? Also, you know, he picked like the worst, the worst of his nicknames with Ron DeSanctimonious. People are like, dude, that is, that's not working. And, 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 and DeSantis just he he smashed it. He like turned Miami Dade, and that was and you know Trump came out against him. Well, didn't work. Yeah. So the and DeSantis storyline is really interesting, and um, he's going to be the nominee you know, in twenty twenty four. I mean, I, I yeah, I, 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 think I so. and I don't know what I think about him, but he's done an amazing job. Um, you know, and one of the other things he did, which I think Get is interesting. I mean, yeah. And he also like their abortion um, line is at 15 weeks. And I, I, you know, there's not I think there's so much like I would I think the abortion ban is such a losing issue for the Republicans. Mm -hmm. And I also happen to be against it. But I think it's I I really hope the Republicans start to realize that that this country, people in this country do not want an abortion ban. They don't no. want it. No. They, they want an any- abortion compromise. That's absolutely they right. They want I mean. something that feels, you know, that that's that feels compassionate, but but puts limits on this thing that people have complicated feelings about. And 
I am so I, I know that that is a good pro-choice here. I'm not supposed to compromise. I have been in favor of an abortion compromise for a long time. Me too. Me too. And I would really love to see us come to that place. So what would, if you, so DeSantis has us at 15 weeks, okay? And we know in Europe, it's in most European countries, it's something 16 to 20 weeks. 12 to 15, yeah. 12 to 15. Would you, if someone said, uh, if they put a uh, compromise 16 weeks, would you, would you feel that was a pretty good, pretty good number? Yeah, I'm comfortable with it. And then I would also want, I, I, you know, I would want uh, some sort of clause for um, health of the mother after that. But I I mean, to me, again, like you said, of course, it's like, like, of course, like, like, you know, these stories that we're seeing in Texas where, you know, there are stories where mothers are going into sepsis, you know, hold it. It's awful. It's absolutely terrible. Well, I told you that story when I went to Kansas and reported for Barry Weiss on the whole Kansas situation that, you know, I had my, uh, I, I, I spoke to a, a emergency room doctor and she, I said, well, you know, because she was right on the state line between, uh, uh, Kansas and Missouri on the Missouri side. And it, I said, have you, you know, what would happen? You know, she said, I have to send them across the line. I said, would that, has that happened? She said it happened nine o'clock the morning after the, 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 um, yeah. the ban. And she's like, you know, but what happens if she'd purport, if she'd performed the abortion, this is what would have to have happened. It was an ectopic pregnancy. She would have to obviously, uh, uh, chart it, write it up. And then it got sent to the state Capitol where somebody at some point adjudicated whether it was legitimate. I mean, this, well, is, this just, is nonsense. It's, just, it's, man- it's this madness. This is nonsense. And it's also a waste. I mean, this is a, this is a absolute waste of time and bureaucracy and all sorts of stuff. This, this sort of legislation is ridiculous. And I think, and it's not, but, but what, what actually makes me relieved and pleased is that it's, it's a losing proposition at the polls. And I think you uh, saw that last night and I'm glad to see it. I'm starting just fine. And so in New York, so yeah, mm-hmm. no, go ahead. No, go no ahead. tell me about New York. Cause I was going to just, so I not, I, I, I hate to say this. I'm going to admit this. It's terrible. I thought for some reason that they were going to open the physical polls on Monday. Like they'd have, but they didn't. And I was on a plane and the, I couldn't vote on Oops, Tuesday. I didn't. Somebody I didn't. didn't. That's all right. I haven't voted. I was, I was actually, I was traveling for the presidential election, the 2020 president election. I didn't, I didn't vote then either. Um, but, um, I definitely wanted to see, uh, the, uh, governor Hochul. I wanted her out. Um, she has not been good for the city. And then I was here, uh, the day of the election and Yale's like, Oh, so here are the three people she chose to post pictures with herself of in order to like get out there because these people support me. And those people were Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris and Mark Ruffalo. And I was like, who, by her posting those pictures, who is she going to convince that she didn't already convince? Anyway, she won. Um, which, huge Mark Ruffalo contingent in I like him New as York. an actor. I like Mark Ruffalo uh, as an actor. Yeah, um, a lot what? of the Oscar. No, I, I, I know it's. Uh, she doesn't seem like a very strong governor, but 
but no, it's she, New York. So she also was um, masking masking two year olds in up until like three months ago or until the spring. I, this is just this is just this is just bullshit. I mean that that's not keeping our city and our state safe. Okay, there are big problems in New York. All right, there's a lot of murder going on in the city. There's, there's a lot of some disgusting stuff going on in the city. But if you're going to spend your time and make sure you're masking two year olds, this is not who I want. As, as governor. So she won, unfortunately. Um, and then the only other stuff I really paid attention to is, is, is Oregon, where there's some interesting stuff yeah. going on, if I may. May I? That's, may I yeah, just, of course. Yeah, yeah, Oregon, still too close to call. So here's the thing about Oregon. Um, it is, there are two blue dots in a red sea. I just looked up some numbers. So there's 4.27 million Oregonians, but almost 2.4 million of them, and the vast majority, 2.2 million, live in Portland. So Portland and Eugene, those are the only blue uh, centers of the, of the state. Everything else is red. I mean, there's, there's even like, some people want to secede to Idaho, okay, the eastern part of Oregon. Okay. So... This has been interesting, It's but it's been increasingly Democratic. Certainly, Portland has been Democratic, but we've had, we, because I lived there for 15 years, I don't live there anymore, um, has had a, a Democratic governor for the past four decades. It's now, it's neck and neck between two women, one of whom is uh, Christian. I believe she's Christian. She went to George Fox. Uh, she's anti-choice, uh, not pro-choice, against abortion. Um, she's married with children. The other is Democratic. She lives in Portland. She's married to a, a lesbian. I mean, she's a lesbian. I just learned today when I was looking this up that Kate Brown, who's been the governor for a million years, is also a lesbian. I didn't know that, which shows you I don't care who you are. If I just care about what you're doing in terms of your identity. Um, but it's very close. It's uh, Tina Kotek is the Democrat. She's up 45 points to 7% to Christine Drazen. She's at 44.7. If if that tips red, that's going to be huge. Because yeah, the, it's not going to, though. I don't know. It depends on what counties they've counted. I mean, I, I don't know. That, I mean, it might not, you know, it sounds like but it's, it's still trended. Close. She's trended in, 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 she's been ahead the whole time. Oh, Kotech has been? Okay. Yeah. Um, we also did have something interesting. So one of the, the definitely the most sort of vocal, progressive voice on the city council for a while has been this woman, Joanne Hardesty. Um, she's the one that was very, very pro defunding the police and et cetera. She lost pretty handily to Renee Gonzalez, who's pretty, he's a pretty centrist guy, but he's in and she's out. There's also something else that I, I haven't I paid attention to, but I think it passed. They want to change the way the city is governed in terms of uh, who's representing you. They're going to have, instead of five people, it's going to be 12. It's going to be a mess. I don't, I don't see it see it getting better. But it it did, all I can say is that it um, it went a little more to the center than it's been. Portland's been incredibly left and incredibly progressive, as has the state. And it, and it, it kind of, the pendulum uh, swung back a, a tiny bit. So from mm -hmm. my reading so far, so we'll see how that goes. Can we talk about Steve Kornacki? Oh, okay. I, I, I just, first of all, I'd like to get everybody super jealous here because since Steve is America's sweetheart, I would just like to say that Steve Kornacki has been on the fifth column several times, including when they've, you know, uh, they, they tape in my apartment and he's been in my house and I have fed Steve Kornacki cookies. No pound cake. Well, pound cake. I, I just want to make you jealous because I've been friends with Steve Kornacki for like... <gasps> Oh, seven years right. and that's we worked right, together at salon yeah I you forgot. forgot that my bond with steve kornacki is, is actually 
deeper Way than deeper. yours. How Steve and I worked together when I was the culture editor at Salon and he was the politics editor at Salon. And we were, it was like a really dark time. So we were just like in the foxhole together. And one thing uh, about that, I mean, first of all, uh, I was also the, I, I believe the first person he ever came out to, he called me one night and it was, I remember it was raining and it was, it was, it was such a random call. Is, this, is, is, he, is he out like in general? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote a, okay. he wrote an essay for me at Salon um, okay. after this happened. He called me and, and he told me that he was gay. And I was like, okay, okay let's like talk about this. And and then he ended up wanting to, to write an essay about it. He, he wrote an essay. I'll link it in the, in the comment. I mean, in the, in the edit, in the episode notes. Um, but, but Steve and I, uh, were very good friends back in the day. He used to, a funny story about Steve is that every day he would bring me, uh, a diet Dr. Pepper at my desk. Um, because a, I drank a ridiculous amount of diet Dr. Pepper at the time, but the real reason was because he liked to get snack wells from the place across the street, uh, which is all he ate during the day was snack well, uh, Cookies, cookies and, and snacks, but it, they had a $5 minimum on the ah. credit cards. And so he needed something else to put it over the top. So he would, he would add my diet, Dr. Pepper. Um, and in fact, when I saw him last time at your, at your party, when the last time I was in town, he, he brought me a diet, Dr. Pepper. Of course he did. Um, Steve Kornacki is a complete American original. I don't know how to say it. Like he's such a peculiar, amazing, wonderful person. Uh, he, everybody knows him. It, like one of my favorite things about going through like every election night, the best thing is going on Twitter and seeing people like crush on him and, and coo everybody. over what a, it's so great. And there's all these Twitter threads about like, why do we like Steve Kornacki so much? <laughs> and I sent one to you and it was interesting. These, it, it was uh, like somebody in the, in the, and the Twitter thread was like, look, I know he's gay, but straight women love him so much. Why do we love him so much? And then it was all these people kind of trying to, to guess, you know, what was it about him? And, you know, he's a good looking guy. He's very smart. Somebody said like the core thing is just competence. Like he is so freaking competent at what he does. You know, he he's knows also, the numbers. He knows the facts. He's so humble. Like he tells you when he's wrong. He he shoots straight with you. It's so reassuring at a time when it feels like everybody is inflating or deflating or, you know, trying to, to spin something. He is he's such a straight shooter. And it's so reassuring. Well, he's the guy that's there when we're having our national if not crisis, but our national moment of anticipation. He's the guy, right? They use, we, our grandparents used to say like Walter Cronkite was like the guy who came into like, you could, yeah. you could trust what he said, whether that was true or not. I don't know. Uh, but, um, but he's the guy that's there and he's young and he's cute. He's wearing his ripped tie and he's just like, he's kind of goofy and he's the guy that knows like he's shooting it too straight. He's, he's wonderful. And you're absolutely right. There's like nobody else in media like him because he's not blowing smoke at you. He's dealing in facts. All right. Numbers yep. are numbers. And uh, yeah, he's, he's great. And he's, he's, he is just incredibly adorable. Like in, 
he, he just is. He, he deserves all, he deserves to be our sweetheart. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so. he is absolutely. He's, he's America's sweetheart and the Walter Cronkite of our time. Um, I enjoyed seeing the nicknames that people came up for, for him last night. I, I, of course, Snacky was one that I kept seeing. <laughs> of course, Snacky. Um, <laughs> another one was Election Poppy. <laughs> Which was different. <laughs> Map Daddy yeah. was the last time. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a spin. Um, somebody said they're showing Kornacki Cam during the commercials like he's a rare eagle about to give birth. Oh, God. Um, um, it's, you know, it's it's just he's he's a great guy. And I'm glad that we have this to to bring us together during this time. It's one of the great uh, it's like one of the great um thrills of my life, honestly, is getting to watch this every election day. So before we skip on to our, uh, our next topic. Um, so if, if, uh, if DeSantis is the presumed nominee, uh, in 2024 for president, and if by some chance the Democrats will kind of blink open their eyes and realize that renominating Biden is not a good idea. And I don't think that they would put up Harris. I would hope not. I've talked to several people about who they think the um, the Democratic nominee, and I'm going to ask you. Who oh, you yeah. Think Interesting, because that doesn't seem like a, like I can't figure out who would be a viable candidate so, if it's not Biden. Buttigieg. Who? who? Buttigieg. Yeah, Buttigieg is probably the person that I, I would choose. I, I think, frankly, that and I, I know I know as I don't. I know more words in Hebrew that I've learned in 24 hours than I know about Pete Buttigieg. Okay, however, he. I think he could get some traction because he is a kind of. He's known uh, to a certain extent uh, by the party. He's known by Americans. He's young. He's already within the Biden administration, and I think that even though people are like, no, Joe Biden hasn't missed a step. He's the as fresh as a daisy. I think if they had a fresher Nobody daisy. Nobody thinks that. <laughs> Nobody's saying if that. If they had a fresher daisy, they might go for it. So let's see. That's a, you've, You heard it here, you folks. Know, it's Buttigieg versus DeSantis in 2024. So I we'll mean, see. one of the things that you were seeing last night is like a lot of people were saying, listen, Joe Biden is one of the most underrated politicians of all time because he keep people uh -huh. keep discounting him and then he keeps pulling through. And I would agree with that. I actually okay. like Joe Biden. Um, My mother but loves him. But he is probably not a good candidate to run. And I think I I think Buttigieg is is a is a really good one. Um, well, I, I just happen to like him. Um, but, but I have I no idea say, I, if some that dog's going to hunt. Uh, some of us in this room, and I'm in the in the audience. Hello, everyone. Sarah, what's the name of this podcast? Let me think for a second. Smoke them if you got them. Yes, it is. Some of our our beautiful, lovely uh, uh, fans and listeners um, have have dealt with people in their world who are experiencing memory loss or Alzheimer's or whatever you want to call it. And um, and I I I have seen this myself uh, up first hand, uh, in a family member. And, um, I, I can say that Biden is, is exhibiting, uh, some of the, uh, characteristics that I've seen. So anyway, we will see. Um, Sarah, we, I read one of the most incredible articles I've read in a long time. This oh morning. my God. Was it the Britney Spears article? 
Yes. And I want to tell you, I did not realize when I had sent you the link or you sent me the link, you sent me the link. It's no, friend- you sent me the link and I okay. read it um, like I read it before you. Okay. You did. It's my friend, Carrie Howley that wrote it. You know her? Oh my God. Yeah. She's a friend of mine. I, I stayed with her in Iowa with my book. Yeah. Carrie's great. She used to write for Reason a long time ago. She was on staff at Reason. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Carrie, I put it on Twitter today. Carrie Howley, Howley, H-O-W-L-E-Y. Unscientific uh, um, assessment here, but I think she's one of the five best journalists writing today in this country. Okay. She is unbelievable. I did not know her. Oh, oh before you- this piece. I now want to read everything she's ever written. Well, she this wrote the story piece- about reality winner. Remember that one? Remember the story about reality winner? No. Okay, well, you're going to go see that. I'm going to put a link to that one, too. Anyway. She wrote a book about mixed martial arts called mm-hmm. Throne, which mm-hmm. I thought was very random, but but sort of fascinating. Um, so this is, a, just so people know what this is, this is called House of Spears. This is the cover story in New York Magazine, which has just been on fire recently. Yeah, they're amazing. Amazing job. You've got it, guys. I only, I subscribe, I pay for one subscription in hard copy. And it's New York Magazine. Well, I live in New York too, and they have great restaurant stuff, but it is just, it's just killing it. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful magazine. The design, whoever's art directing over there is killing it. It's like, it's worth it. I don't, I don't get the New Yorker anymore because they just pile up as they do for everybody else. But anyway, go ahead. This, Sorry. This is, this is a, this is a very long article. What is it? Probably like seven or 10,000 words. Yeah. Yeah. But is it absolutely immersive experience it is a southern gothic oh Um, it's one of the best stories i've read in a long time um it's about britney spears and her conservatorship which is something that i think probably a lot of people know about nominally at least but really it's about the the long twisted branches of the family tree that is Britney Spears is, you know, like also it's, it's largely about Jamie Spears, who is her father. Right. 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 Uh, I learned so much more about where Britney came from, what their family was like. And they've been in this, um, small Louisiana town for many generations. I think it was called Kenwood. Yes, please. Can I read a little bit of the of the beginning because I just want to give listeners a feel for what this story was like. Um, so the story opens by telling us that Jamie Spears is a, is a young boy in Louisiana and his brother who is a small baby has died. Okay. And so, um, so I'm going to read this. The baby had been buried below an oak tree in a small cemetery loud with the buzzing of cicadas. Jamie's mother was named Emma Jean Forbes, and everyone called her Jean. She was small, like her husband and son, and she was blonde, and she had married when she was 16 years old, which was older than her mother had been when she married in Mississippi. Later, her husband would tell the coroner that Jean had tried to kill herself three times, but whether to believe her husband and what part he might have played in what what unfolded in May 1966 remains in question. So this story has this gravity and this mystery from its opening beats. And it just pulls you through 
and, and, and it is so deep and so good. It's so, you know, you might, you know, you're saying, uh, well, we learned, you know, so much more about, um, about Britney Spears and you might say, well, I don't care. Like, what do I care about Britney Spears? But this isn't really about Britney Spears. I mean, it is, but it, what it is, is about, I guess it could be any, any, every country will have their variation about this, but it's about the vicissitudes and hardships of an American family. And I have mm-hmm. to tell you, reading this article, I my my late ex, Tim Sampson, who, oh, he came to me in a dream this morning. It was so mm. beautiful to see him and talk with him. Anyway, I don't want to start weeping. But um, his family, um, they, I was reading this article. I was like, yeah, this is, um, some of this is pretty familiar in terms of like, driving, you know, driving in the car and there's an accident, the baby goes through the windshield or so-and-so is walking and he steps on a piece of, piece of metal and they, they don't have a doctor nearby. So what happens? They pour something in it and there's a reaction and he dies or the hurricane, the tornado came and it took out the house or it's just like these sorts of tragedies that ensue when you are, well, first of all, there was a lot of a lot of violence in Spears's family. There was a lot of alcoholism. There was a lot of real cruelty. And and there's I'm a lot not, of mental I'm, illness. Yeah, yeah, mental. And I'm not. I'm not applying any of that to, to Tim's family, though. There was. There were certain things. But it's also when you don't have the sort of, you know, we we grow up, and if you grow up in a household where there's like a certain aptitude for certain things, like maybe it's paying your bills, or you know, like understanding that. When tax time rolls around, you're going to have to try to figure it out. When these things, when you never learn these, like I had something happen when I went to um, Portland. When I first moved to Portland, I was on the corner and there were these two kids, like maybe seven and five, like trying to run across the street. And one, the bigger one was holding the little one's hand and there was a car and the car's like beeping at them. And you, I realized later, kids actually don't know how to cross streets. You'd think like, well, it's just obvious, right? But it's not, it's not something that they know and can just learn themselves. Someone has to teach them how to cross a street. Someone has to teach you certain things like how to take care of your money, how to like, you know, how to, you know, this is when you pay your taxes. If you never learn these things, your world falls apart in ways that you, it's kind of not even your fault because you just were not taught basic things. And in Spears's family, there were very basic things that were not understood. And it it is this weird, like, it's it's almost like the you, there's there was act, absolutely active bad behavior, but there was also passive tragedies that happened because they just didn't do things in the ways that keep people safe. Okay. That's right. Yeah. That's a good description that the the tragedies are both active and passive and they're happening. Yeah. yeah, Like simultaneously. Yeah. I mean, so some of the things that happen here is that, you know, okay. So Jamie Spears is Britney's father. Um, we've already said that his, he had a brother that died. He then had a mother who either killed herself, although it's, you know, it's never, it's a little bit mysterious whether she shot herself, although that's, that's the assumption. That we'll say, yeah. But that you'll get to that yeah. part when you're, when you're reading it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the description then, of the shooting was when she, I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that was kind of gymnastic, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, One, yeah. Of, one yeah. of the ongoing yeah. mysteries. Yeah, yeah. Then his, then his father is a, is a, is a very angry and violent man. He ends up marrying a second wife. Um, 
I love this detail. She was named the Betty Crocker future homemaker of tomorrow in her high school. She's such a like, it puts you exactly in a space and time. He ends up institutionalizing her against her will. She has some mental issues, which it's not sure if those are endogenous or those are uh, the result of his violence. What was that um, word and you he just used? Endogenous? endogenous? I don't know that word. Like in, what is that word? Well... Look- I mean, now I like, like I flexed a big word and, and now I'm, but I'm pretty sure it's like, it's like when it's in, in, in turn, like. Andogenous. Okay. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, in other words, it's, it's original. It's inherent. Am I using that? Inherent. Yeah. That's, inherent. That's okay. What, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Go for it. Yep. Um, and then he marries his, uh, stepsister. stepsister. Yeah. Yeah. And. And so there's a series of just twists and turns throughout this story. Um, It doesn't let up. It does not let up. To the point where like sometimes when you're reading a story and there's sort of like the the seminal tragedy, you know, the the seed that's buried in there that will like, you know, later sprout and there's reasons. These, These tragedies come so quickly and so often, and she does it in such a calm way when she's reporting it, meaning Howley, that, you know, something that would be the entire article for someone else, it's just like, oh, yeah, and then those kids went off the bridge. It just doesn't end. It doesn't end. It doesn't end. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I learned things about Britney Spears that I didn't know. Now you know I I actually have been a a Britney Spears fan since the beginning. Look, I love that woman. I think she's she's right. and one of the things that Carrie points out that I think is so important is she's a dancer more than really a singer. Her and the way that Carrie talks about her dancing Incredible. and her Incredible. movement yep. and the genius of her body is so exactly Incredible. right. And and to to make the point that every woman remembers watching Britney Spears walk down a hallway is it is so true. I remember Absolutely. exactly where I was when I first saw the "Hit Me Baby One More Time" video, and I was like, "What is that? Who is that?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, she wrote that pair. I was like, "I got to watch that video right now," and I didn't because we had to go out. But I'm gonna we're gonna link it in here for sure. Um, and yes, she oh, also baby. baby. Um, she was given, I mean, it's, she becomes a much more complicated character. And then there are all these sort of echoes and reverberations. Now you've learned, you know, this is why Carrie yeah. is a genius. Okay. She's, she's, she's planting the seeds, but she doesn't even have to plant the seeds. These are like obvious things that happen, but the echoes down through the generations. It, it's a shockingly good article. And I, I mean, I can't. So, so I let me recommend ask it highly you. enough. <laughs> Let me ask you a question because, um, so the, the article makes the, um, you know, at one point she just flat out says like, look, this isn't a story about whether or not Britney Spears's conservatorship was right. It was wrong. Right. She said it wasn't. And I would agree with that, that the conservatorship was, um, far too, steep a penalty for what was going on. But at the same time, the the story did leave me with the idea that, you know, gosh, something really was going on in Britney Spears's life. She was not okay. It's, you know, Carrie makes the point that since her conservatorship has lifted, um, a lot of people that supported her have sort of slowly backed away from following her because she doesn't seem terribly sane. Um, she doesn't seem 
like she's all there. Like there is something that was going on with her and someone did need to intercede. Well, here's my, I have a couple of thoughts about this. And we know that a couple of weeks ago, she released the fully nude picture of herself, which was, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, see, they, she should have had the conservatorship because she can't be trusted. Well, gonna, and gonna, it wasn't just that she had a nude picture of herself. She had some strange caption that was like, yeah, my like, next release is my pussy United, or something like United that. It, it, my pussy or something. She and yeah. Kanye were just like having like this sort of dual meltdowns. I have a I have a couple of things to say about that, which sort of ties in with my saying, like, what do you learn and what you don't? Look, young people becoming famous overnight, having millions of dollars is just a it's a terribly crushing. I've, I've written about Jenna Malone's uh, bid for emancipation because her mother was like, had no way to understand how to support her, but Jenna was still a minor, so she had to get away from her. So in the article, you learn, like, her parents have declared bankruptcy and all these other terrible things are happening. And like three months later, Britney Spears has her first hit. She's 16 years old. She's also become, I guess, a, a mouseketeer before then. Yeah. Now, here's a, here's a scenario. It is absolutely true when someone is young and obviously vulnerable, they're not even of age yet, and they've got all this money, they're going to attract unbelievably avaricious people and vultures and you know locusts, and hopefully they have a smart and sound parent to help them through this. She did not. Um, and mistakes were made. What if, but what if conceivably someone, not her father, couldn't have been this person and her mother kind of doesn't seem to have much of a, much of a role here in some ways. Um, what if she'd had somebody that was really sound at her back? Would she be having these experiences now? No. Would she have maybe learned how to do things better? Were the things that she did when she was younger, Carrie makes a good point. It's like, you know, oh, people are calling like she's crazy. Or maybe she was just in her 20s, you know, when you do stupid things. Right. Um, would it have been the case that, you know, if she hadn't had this sort of you could even say malevolent influence from her father or manipulative, I guess is a better word or, or, or controlling. He's Maybe controlling. Have, He's very, very controlling. She could have learned to make better decisions. You see what I'm saying? Like she didn't, she didn't have the chance to learn how to make good decisions because she was reacting against this person who was like denying her. She could never phone. She couldn't leave the house. She couldn't order sushi. It's like, you do go mad. I mean, there's also the line, like, you know, the whole thing of her, her grandfather putting his wife in a mental institution, that's something that used to happen, right? It's like, well, I want to oh, kind of yeah. get rid of her for a while. And so, you know, you are driven mad, you are driven mad by someone. I mean, the thing that has always driven me the craziest in my life is when someone says to me, I either did something or said something that I very well know I did not do or say. And if someone mm -hmm. keeps telling you, you did these things or you're guilty of this, you're going to go a little insane. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's any way in hell it should have been her father. Uh, taking over her and then there's some crazy church that he was involved with. I mean, she was really, is just an example of how manipulated when you are young and you were a celebrity, people can really, really come and take advantage. It was just, it's messy, messy, messy. And whether she can ever sort of stand on her feet, she's also not 16 dancing down a hallway anymore, right? She's 42. Mm. And we're like, what do we want from Britney now? Like, what, what do we want? We want to support people, but like, what do we expect from her? You know, and is she going to be able to give us something that's going to like, do we want to travel 
the next part of this road with her? And obviously the answer for some people is no. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I appreciated about it is that it gave me some insight into Jamie Spears, her father. I mean, I didn't really understand what was going on. You know, one of the things this this story makes clear is that it really wasn't about money for him. He's not particularly interested in riches. He lives in a trailer still. Um, but he did want control. And I think it helps to make sense of that if you understand the circumstances of his father, I mean, his mother's death, that he had lost the woman that was closest to him in play, in ways that he couldn't control. And this may have, this may have created something in him that he, he, he overcorrected to control her in ways that I, I, the story is not a defense of what Jamie Spears did. The story is an attempt to understand why he did it. Oh, I think, and I think he, she succeeds and, it brilliantly. brilliantly. And that's what I think is so beautiful and, about it. And that's also, this is again, her genius. It's like, you can't look, I can go and tell you like my dad ex- acted X and Y and Z because, you know, his father died when he was three, committed suicide when he was three. So, you know, certain things, and and I could probably be right or get close to it, but it's also my father. So I, you know, I've got some, when you're a writer and you're trying to ascribe a motive to people and you're an outside party, it's, you know, you, you have to be careful and you have to be tender and you have to be sympathetic even when it's horrific. And she did it. I mean, Carrie... Just like seriously, a deepest, deepest of bows to you, Carrie. I, I, I found this to be, and of course, you know, it's the kind of writing, you know, I'm trying to do not that exact way, but you're trying to figure out how to tell stories, important stories. And speaking of that, if I may, I, it's not going to be out for a while, but I did finish that article, that 7,000 word article. And I realized yes. when I finished it, um, I realized that it was a requiem. I hadn't realized that when I was writing it. So, you know, remind you take us on, what it is when you say that it's a requiem, it's a requiem well, for what? It's a requiem for a woman who was murdered by her spouse. Um, she had six children. The youngest two were, were his children. Uh, and she was no longer living with him, but he kept breaking into the house and beating her and strangling her. And, um, her three older children, the, her first husband came and took them, you know, he's like, this is not a safe place for the kids. And, um, so, this just was going on and on and on. And then he was arrested again in August 20th and um, he was bailed out. He was bailed out by a bail fund that started in Portland in uh, 2017, but really got steam in 2020 and a lot of money because it was a bail fund for black, brown and indigenous folks. And the, the, um, the, um, the, the, he wound up getting out of jail, bailed out for $2,000, which is insane. And he went back a, late, a week later and he killed her. He's black. He's a Somali American. She's black American and killed her with the three children in the house. It's a small house. So, you know, uh, and because Portland, the murder rate is so high in Portland right now, it's going to be, it's, it's on target to beat last year's record of 90 murders, which was a record ever. 21 was the most murders. Um, you know, the for, for a variety of reasons, the story just, you know, was just what was forgotten. And, you know, nothing more was was written about her. And I I found this story to be so uh upsetting, not just her murder, obviously, but the fact that, you know, Portlanders um had been okay with this sort of like I, my my question was like, is it is is the the road to criminal justice, which I think 
all of us want. We want to do a better job. We especially want to do a better job for, you know, for the populations that traditionally have been shat on by the justice system, right? But when you do that, you you when you when these private funds exist, unpredictable things happen. And unpredictable things also happen when you have judges, some of whom are like, this guy really should be in jail for 80,000. And the next judge goes, no, no bail. That's okay. We're going to let him out. You know, Portlanders put these judges, judges are elected in Portland. And so my, my, my point of was like, you, Portland, this is your, this is an issue you were helped to create. And are you okay with it? Is the murder of a mother of six an okay collateral damage on the road to criminal justice reform? And that was, that was sort of my quiet question within the piece. Um, anyway, so that's done. Hopefully that'll be out pretty soon. Um, I'm not really sure the, the editor's super busy with other stuff. So anyway. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that. And and I also, yeah, I mean, the, the Carrie Howe piece it was just an inspiration. And it is. I'm ready it, to it, declare it, it my, my favorite piece of 2022, but we'll see. We got a couple months for somebody else yeah. to to come in under the wire but yeah it was it was fantastic um so so um nancy yes why are you in israel well you know it's interesting uh i am here um and i'm sure that the reasons why i am here will unfold publicly soon but i can't really say too much now because oh, I was at, never mind. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I am here. There are going to be some other journalists here, um, but we're sort of, I, I'm not really sure. I don't want to really talk too much about it because I'm not sure how, how, how we're supposed to approach this. Anyway, I am here. We're going to be with some other that journalists. The biggest tease. I know I'm such a tease, <laughs> um, but um, so some of us are here a little earlier. I think the bulk of people arrive on the 12th or the 13th. I got here a little early, uh, and I am going tomorrow. I'm actually going to go more into like uh, Palestinian territory and and do some uh, do some touring over there and talk to some people. My hope, and I'm not really sure because I'm not I'm, I'm going to be with groups with a group, and I'm not sure how much flexibility we're going to have and exactly. If I'm going to be able to just sit and talk with people, but what I really hope to do, because I am not going to, I know that you guys want me to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict while I'm here. And believe me, if I have the opportunity, I'm going to do it. You but should I'm probably do not that. Gonna, I know, I know. I'm, I'm a slacker. Um, but um, I, I, it's not, uh, that's not what I, I don't think that's what people really want me writing about. I think what people want me writing about are, are the people. And if I can talk to some people, I'm going to definitely, I, I've already posted, uh, if, if you guys don't follow me over at my Substack, which is uh, Make More Pie or nancyrollman.substack.com, I am doing a post every day from Israel. I have a couple up there already. I'd like to try to bring you some people that I meet and um, and we'll see for what I did. I did go on a little cool story. I'm not going to scoop myself today, earlier today, which was pretty cool. And um yeah, that's why I'm here. And I will say the food is outstanding. I'm going to gain What's a couple pounds. What's the best pounds. thing that you've eaten? I ate a bread salad last night. I, first I of don't all, know I what love, that means. So I love fatouche. Fatouche is more of like a, I, I guess, Middle Eastern, I don't know, Lebanese salad. It's uh, it's like crispy pita chips with um, tomatoes and cucumbers and mint and stuff like that. It's just a delicious salad. Well, this is different. So the bread you get here at the restaurant, like just when they bring you bread, is a challah bread, but it's a little more, it's a little less airy than challah. So it's even more chewy. Like if I could challah bread get any better? Yes. As a matter of fact, it can. So this was a salad that had um, chopped fennel and cucumbers and like this beautiful herby dressing. And then the hunks of the challah. Oh my God. It was just 
crazily, crazily delicious. Um, and then we're going out to tonight to this area, area called uh, Jaffa, and we're going to go someplace. So no, there's a lot of eating. There's a lot of eating. There's a lot of talking. I'm here with my friend Yael, and the voices are just great. I love hearing Hebrew spoken. And they're always talking like this. And she said, yeah, when, when, when Israelis talk, it always sounds like they're arguing, but they're not. They're just saying like, how was your day? I love you. So it's very, everything's very like, oh, also... Well, hello. I've noticed it mostly on the men, but some of the women too. These crazily beautiful, luminous, light green eyes. Like, oh yeah, light. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like falling in love with every every like halva seller at the market. The, there's this incredible yes. outdoor market, uh, Carmel, I think it's called. I mean, these. I'm just like, well, hello, sailor. No, it's it's yeah. really, really very. Actually, I gotta say very good looking people. Like overall, we go to restaurants, like, God, that waitress is beautiful. And then we go to the next restaurant, like, that waitress is beautiful. Just very uh, good looking people. Very, very super friendly. The food is great. Weather hasn't been great. It rained. I'm right on the Mediterranean in a nice, in a high rise. And uh, it's great. I'm going to be here through the, um, I think we leave the night of the 18th. So we'll try to do some more podcasting while I'm here. It's going to get a little crazy. We got a real ragtag bunch of people flying in at the end of the week and you know almost all of them it's going to be pretty fun yale has warned us we're going to drink a lot i hope not to because i did last night and that was a bad idea so anyway that's what how i'm long doing are you here. there how long are you there till, till the 18th we leave the night of the 18th so another uh, another nine days so, oh my gosh you're gonna be in Israel for a long time so we'll do another podcast oh, yeah, in yeah, Israel. yeah for sure at least two and maybe i'll wow. uh, i'll have a I'll have one or two people like pop in uh, special guests because we're all going to be staying at the same hotels starting. Well, okay. I've got an Air, Airbnb tomorrow. I'm with a, I'm with two male journalists and me and, and Matt Welch has called it the worst rom-com ever. He's not, he's not going to be there, but, uh, but at the end of the week, we're all going to be in the same hotels. So uh, I'll, I'll pull some of them in to say, uh, to say hi to the people. So. Okay. That sounds yeah. good. That's something yeah. to look forward to yeah. next week. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, um, what else yeah. do we have? Hey, what's in your hot box? Oh, what is in my hot box? Let me, um, oh, I've got a couple things. Hold on, hold on. Do you have to I check have your actual no, have, hot box? Do you have a I hot have box look, next to you? I have to lean down and check like? it. Well, hold on. You yeah. talk about what it looks like while I'm going and grabbing it. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. Yeah, it's it's bejeweled. It's it's made of, it's, it's like, you know, in Pulp Fiction, uh, when they open up the trunk and then a beam of light uh, comes out. That's what it looks like, except that it has blue crystals on top. And, huh? My uh, hot box? Is that what yeah. you're saying? I, am I? Is it what? Is, I'm bejeweled down there. Yeah, I said it was like. Well, yeah. I'm not gonna. Any, yes. Yeah. Don't. Sh- 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 okay. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember if I this was in my hot box last time. I don't remember. Uh, this book called Spies of No Country: Israel's Secret Agents at the Birth of the Mossad uh, by Maddie Friedman. M A T T I Friedman, like it's uh, usually spelled. Um, I was so we've got a whole bunch of people coming over here, and now there's like a WhatsApp, and people are like, you know, if you really want to, really want to know about. Israel, you got to start in 1948. Well, I would actually say you're going to start sooner. I'm listening to a book right now, which I really like on tape called um, We Stand Divided. And it's about Israeli Jews and American Jews. Anyway, that is fascinating. I'm loving that. But Spies of No Country is amazing. It basically focuses on these four... um, Israeli Jews before, like as Israel was being becoming a country, but they posed as Arabs. It's just, 
it's just really interesting. It reads like a detective novel. It should be a, it should be a book. Anyway, I've been binging on uh, Israel stuff because I'm here and I, I I know as much as the average American, which is probably not that much. So it's been it's been interesting. I recommend that book, and I'll put a couple of other links. I, one other thing I did listen to, and I'll put a link to, is our Eli Lake. We're all fans of Eli Lakes, and he has a really good podcast. And he he spoke with he a journalist um, who I had lunch with today about the Israeli election. So if you catch up a little with that, if you haven't had enough with the American elections, you can go listen to uh, about the Israeli election. So what's in your hot box, lady? Oh, man, I have so many things in my hot box because you know what I did um, last week on our open thread? I announced that uh, I was starting an experiment. And the experiment was kicked off by a little video that I'd seen of Ray Bradbury saying, you know, that that if you want to to sort of goose your creativity, read one poem, one essay and one short story a night for a thousand days where he came up with a thousand. I have no idea. And I have no idea if I'll do it for a thousand days. (laughs) But I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do that because it had been a very long time since I had read any short stories. I never read poetry. And I thought, why not? I love experiments. And so I kicked this to our, to our, I kicked it to Twitter and I kicked it to our audience uh, on the open thread. And, and they, they gave me a ton of recommendations and uh, I've read some of them. I will read all of them. If you have more for me, um, please put them in the comments of this episode, Uh, especially like essays. Um, people are really good about short stories, but, but I, I love reading like essay recommendations. Like somebody had recommended like this 2001, I think maybe three essay by Caitlin Flanagan about the wedding industrial complex. You know, I never would have read that if they hadn't linked that there. And it was delightful. I mean, Caitlin Flanagan is such a wordsmith. It's so great. Amazing. But when I think about, um, so one of the things I did before I really started going on anybody's recommendations was I started reading short stories by Ray Bradbury um, because I kind of got into him. I, I really, I had read a little bit of Ray Bradbury, but I kind of missed the boat. And I started reading these short stories and I just find them to be incredible. Like, I feel like I'm a little bit like 30 or 40, maybe 50 years late on this. So like breaking news that this, this guy is amazing, but they're, (laughs) you know, they're short, they're potent, but they're like elegant. And his use of language is so beautiful. And they're like little twilight zone episodes. And it's hitting all my like Stephen King and black mirror, like buttons. I just absolutely love them. And the one that I that I loved and I shared shared it with you was a a little um, short story called There Will Be Soft Rains, which is beautiful title. And that turns out to be like, for an incredible, like an apocalyptic vision of America. Uh, it's basically like oh a story about uh, a, an automated home after like a bomb has hit <laughs> everything. All well, a, a nuclear bomb, I would think. A, you have the yeah, shadows, a nuclear bomb right? has hit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the, the entire like, n- like action is all the house in its automation after everybody's gone. So like 
which is really interesting. He's writing it in the 40s, but it sounds like it has all these echoes of like of like Siri and and all the different automation that we live in oh, right now. Interesting. Interesting. You know, oh, yeah. where like the house is talking to you, which would, that you couldn't wasn't actually true in 1940. You know, so like so like the robots the robotic arms are making the dishes and the, the voice is telling people to wake up. And anyway, but the, but the whole, the thing that I love about it, I mean, it's just like the way this guy makes these automated, uh, these, these things that we don't necessarily think of having life embodied and he makes them characters. I I just, I was absolutely blown away by the language of this story. Um, I'm just going to read one sentence because I, whenever I read these, I pull out my favorite sentence. And, and um, so this was my favorite sentence. The house shuddered oak bone on bone, its bared skeleton cringing from the heat, its wire, its nerves revealed as if a surgeon had torn the skin off to let the red veins and capillaries quiver in the scalded air. So it's just, it's, it's really this like potent piece of writing. And one of the things I love about Bradbury too is this is not fancy. These are not big words. No, he's it's, and he he's spare. It's weird. Yeah, like spare. I, I his his like he tells you this story. Some you could have he could have written three times as many words. Oh, but he doesn't need them. You pull out all the like interstitial, I don't need that. You just you just he gives you what you need. It's also quite it's quite chilling. I mean it's it's quite a chilling story, I thought. Oh, dude, it's a it's a totally chilling story. Yeah. And yeah. you know, so I I really enjoyed that. Um I've enjoyed a lot of the of the recommendations that have come my way and I'll continue reading them. Um and it's been a blast and reading all this really like it's really rich writing and remember i have covid so like i'm yeah you're home i'm laid you're not up going man anywhere. i i yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's my time to to read although i'm actually i was i was working on a story yesterday but but it's my time to read and reading that good stuff it just it feels like oh you know it's just like the best chicken noodle soup or something like it's just I, so good I have oh something. and i'm really but oh. i'm struggling with poetry i don't okay Nicklin. Know that I get poetry, go, which no, is the worst. Go read, go read Nick. Go, I have a recommendation for you. Nick Flynn, my good dear friend, Nick Flynn, go read his poem, Bag of Mice. Go okay, Bag his, of Mice. I yeah. did like somebody recommended a Philip Larkin poem that I thought was great, which was Dockery yeah. and Sons. I do like Philip Larkin a lot. And I've been reading Anne Sexton, um, who I also really like. But I have to tell you, like a lot of the poems that were recommended to me, I'm just like, I, I just. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. They, you're not everybody's going to work for everything. Don't. Like, <sighs> just when you read Bag of Mice, just remember what happened to Nick's mother. That's all I'm saying. Just read it. Uh, I started I, reading Nick Flynn's uh, memoir, by the way, well, and then he's you, such then a fantastic know. writer. Oh my he's God. such book, a good writer. Guys, go out right now. Stop listening to us. Go out and buy the book, Another Bullshit Night in Suck City. Just trust me. Okay? This book is... It's, it's, it's one of my favorite books. And then, and he's become a dear friend. I'll tell a little story to our, to our listeners. So my daughter, 
my best friend I grew up with is a production designer, and she was production designing this movie called Being Flynn, which is based on another bullshit night in Suck City. My daughter, she gave my daughter an art department PA job. My daughter was 20, and she was young, and Nick Flynn had a little girl at the time. Um, Nick is married to the actress Lily, Lily Taylor. So their daughter was on the set every once in a while, and she was like two, and Tava was young, and so occasionally Tava would watch her for a little while. So she sees she's talking to Nick, and she says, "Oh, um, my mom's a writer too. You guys should be friends." And Nick's like, uh, "Okay, this is like in New York City. I live in Portland, Oregon." Well, the next time he came to Portland for a, a book thing, we met, and man, we just she was right. We've become like really good friends. He's he's great. Anyway, the book is is wonderful. Sarah, I'm going to dogleg for a second and tell you, and that was actually not a pun, dogleg, uh, something that you will love in Tel Aviv. It's full of cats. Cats. There are cats everywhere. Cats everywhere. And they're little cats. Like they're, not that they're kittens, but they're just like small. They're not like big, because they're street cats, right? They're in the street. And they're just, they're in the street or they're like, you look into a shop, a little shop, and then one is under the desk and it's like peeking out at you and you walk and then you're walking past like a, a restaurant and someone's coming out and giving them food and there's like six of them going, meow, 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 meow. but it's not hectic. It's kind of, it's really lovely. You, you, you'd love it. It's great. Yeah, I always end up wanting to like, there are like these islands of cats or these cities of cats. I always put those on my like travel list. The truth is, is that I just love my cat. But um, you're loyal, you know, but I but that that sounds that sounds wonderful. Um, Okay, well, so we're good. Uh, Everybody, thanks for tuning in. Uh, We do have a new open thread up Today, today is Wednesday, uh, the 9th. And it 9th, will be gone by tomorrow. So thank you for well, telling us that, Nancy. Well, <laughs> no, it'll still be there. They can go see it if they want to. It's, it doesn't disappear. But anyway, we're asking you about your election experience. If you want to go stand for Steve Kornacki or you want to tell us anything that we might not know, please feel free. Um, obviously, subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. Give them a gift subscription. I mean, come on. The holidays are coming. You can give them a gift subscription and then you make our holidays better. And that's really what it's about, right? Making our lives better. Right, Sarah? Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Um, Okay, lady, I hope you feel, I hope you feel better. I hope you enjoy Israel and we'll talk in a bit. And in the meantime, smoke. Bye.